Hello, Slate Plus. How are you? It's, uh, you know, it's time for us to be back together. We had in the past couple of weeks two different pieces by people in this room. Emily, who's just crinkling everything. She's like, she's like crinkling her cherries and then she's crinkling her water bottle. Is there anything else you want to crinkle? And I'm getting just like antsy. All right. We're going to, we're going to have a quick slate plus segment and then people can, you know, you can go get a snack. Okay. So, uh, Emily wrote a piece in the times and John wrote a piece in the Atlantic about, it wasn't the same kind of story, but both of them touched on the sort of question of norms, presidential behavior. So you guys are going to have an interesting conversation about examples of norms being busted, ways in which what is happening in Trump's Washington are are out of character with American history, or maybe they're in character with American history. So um, what is a norm, Emily? What do people mean when they talk about that? People mean a kind of tradition or custom that has acquired enough force to seem like a rule, but the only way to enforce it is through social approbation or disapprobation. It's not legally enforceable. It's not written down anywhere. It's the unwritten social code by which we live. And, you know, some norms just have to do with what you wear or how you enter a room. And some of them get deeply embedded in our values and how our government works. So you could argue that in some ways, separation of powers is a kind of norm. It's not a phrase that appears in the Constitution. We have some provisions that touch on it, but we've never really like written it all down, cemented exactly which branch does what. And so in moments like this presidency, where you have someone who's very disinterested, who was, was in a lot of ways elected to break norms, it turns out that a lot of um, things we've taken for granted and how the government works are very fragile. Yeah, either they're fragile or it's not like a parking ticket. ticket. You know, like you're not – you don't get busted in the moment. So they may not – in the end, over the span of time, the norms actually may be resilient. It's just they don't – they may not – they don't snap into into action when they're challenged. And, and everybody kind of has to relearn why the norms are important. I wonder if – I was about to say everybody has to relearn, you know, with each generation – I don't know if that's true, but they but we don't know yet. I mean, in other words, a definition of norm in the American system may be at the times that those norms were challenged most uh, strongly in American history. They've always taken a while to kind of snap back. On the other hand, having just said that, the shame, the fact that when you do something that the shame of doing it is what keeps you from doing it. That's a way in which norms work and have stopped behavior. So you'd never even see it, right? So when the norm is working, it's actually it's actually better than a parking t- or better than a speeding ticket because you don't even break the law. Happening. Right. right, exactly. So, John, what are the norms of the presidency that are being eroded or violated that you think are important? Well, the idea of shame um, keeping certain kinds of behavior from taking place it would be one just kind of big global way in which, I mean, there are a lot of things the president does and says. I mean, for example, he presidents are not supposed to undermine their attorneys general, or I should say their attorney general, because a president only has one attorney general. Um, at least one at a time. <laughs> so when Nixon fired his attorney general, that was a huge big deal. Now, the President Trump hasn't done that, but but just openly criticizing them, that doesn't happen. So 
that's not a question necessarily of shame. The shame thing would be, you know, when Michael Flynn turns out to have been talking to the Russians when they said he wasn't, or Don Jr. T- turns out to have had a meeting with somebody advertised as a Russian agent, even when the it, it different administration officials uh, said that no one in the administration had talked to anybody with the Russians. Under normal under normal norms, that would create a crisis in an administration. There would be a lot of mea culpas. There would be super tentative action in the wake of that to rebuild public trust because there would be such embarrassment. There would be an omelet full of egg on their face. And none of that is in, in operation. Um, the president not only wasn't uh, shame, didn't demonstrate any shame, neither did his son, about this meeting with the Russians who were, you know, America's number one geopolitical foe, according to the previous Republican nominees. So that seems to me to be the big one. We should remember that conservatives and Republicans thought that Obama himself was a norm breaker by doing a lot of the things that he did through executive orders, by not enforcing certain laws uh, that were on the books. You know, what norms are being broken are obviously in the eyes of the beholder. Uh, I'm not suggesting the magnitude is the same, but I think it's important to recognize that there are norms that are challenged or that uh, each side sees being broken that are not there's they're not necessarily universal. Right. So one of the things that I was interested in when we were talking about the Don Jr. meeting last week was that Trump's response, and he's really stuck to this line, is that anyone would have taken that meeting. Now, he was saying this even though basically every politician in Washington who was asked was careful to say that they would not have taken that meeting because they understand that there's a foreign solicitations ban and this might have run afoul of it. Trump's attitude seemed to be that if he knew that law existed, it probably wasn't broken in any kind of technical way. Therefore, this was perfectly acceptable and indeed kind of welcome behavior because, of course, you want to get all the dirt you can from on your opponent. You don't care where it comes from. That's just politics. So then you it's as if if there isn't a clear legal violation, there is no norm there. There is nothing meaningful standing in your way. And it forces the government into this stance where if we don't codify every single thing we don't want our leaders to do, they should feel very free to do it. And we've we've never operated that way. It's very difficult to codify everything. But I do emerge from this period of this presidency thinking that there are certain things that we should do a much better job of writing down, like stronger conflict of interest laws for the president. You know, we had a norm that seemed to work just fine, low these centuries that you weren't going to have kind of self-dealing and self-enrichment in office, that you weren't going to have the level of nepotism we've seen from the Trump administration. And now it seems like those norms are not particularly powerful. And I am not sure that they are going to prove resilient after this administration, because it's not clear that there's a whole lot of cost for violating them. Or not immediate cost, right? No immediate cost. um, If the only cost is that Trump loses the election, there are going to be a lot of reasons for that, if that happens. Yeah, I think in in retroactively, you can see with the passage of time again, where people look back on a thing that was a norm breaking at the time and think, how did that ever happen? And so that, in a sense, reestablishes the norm because people think, gosh, we don't want to lose ourselves in the moment again. And let go of this norm because we now we have seen through the course of history what it what it turns out to be in the end. But one thing that occurred to me as you were talking is the is the way in which the this administration in particular takes what was a norm and just states a different norm. So in the case of Don Jr.'s meeting with the Russians, the president stated a different norm, which is the norm of politics is you do anything and win. 
That's not the normal. I mean, that is there are some people who do that and there are other people who and this is part of what my article was about is uh, that do absolutely the opposite. The other norm, though, is the Russia is our enemy norm, which used to be the norm in Republican politics. Like that's the thing we all understand if we're Republicans is Russians are the enemy and they're continuing to be the enemy. And then that has the president's trying to switch that as well. It's not working um, so well for him, even within his own administration. But that's another one. But back on the conflict of interest thing and just this attempt to try and switch norms when the president's um, lawyer came out and gave that press conference about how he was going to make these various arrangements to deal with his private uh, assets and business. She, his lawyer, whose name suddenly escapes me for the moment, but um, claimed that when Rockefeller was named as Ford's vice president, he had the same kind of financial holdings and nobody much cared about it at the time. So the attempt there is to go back in history, rewrite history, suggest there's a norm, the norm being nobody really cares what your private holdings are. Therefore, by that norm, he's fine. Turns out she was totally, thoroughly, completely, absolutely, abjectly and in every possible way wrong. They had hearings at the time at which Rockefeller had to come and there was lots of investigation and lots of worry about just this kind of thing, this conflict of interest. So there was more fuss arguably, that about Rockefeller than, than, uh, than about, about Trump. But that's another way in which there's, there's an attempt to rewrite a norm. And this is just, it doesn't matter where you stand. The, the rewriting of history for the purpose of excusing current behavior is not something we should tolerate. So my one question is, I mean, Democrats and, and journalists are certainly observing all the norm breaking that the president is doing and noting it, and many people are condemning it. What is less happening is that being universal where, with Republicans focusing a huge amount uh, on it. They are not doing that. If Republicans were focusing a huge amount on it, would the norm breaking stop? Would it – if Trump continued to do it despite the focus on it, would I, – I don't understand how much of it – how much of norm breaking is contingent on there being universal condemnation of it and how much of it Quite a not. lot. Because of what you just said, if Republicans were up in arms about some of the norm breaking we've been talking about, there would be a lot less of it because they would be imposing a political cost on the president and he would not think it was worth his while. And instead, I was struck this morning that Rand Paul's response to Trump's remarks about Jeff Sessions was to say that the that Sessions indeed he agreed with Trump should not have recused himself for because of incidental Russian contacts. And that just seemed like such a classic Republican formulation right now that everything is sort of like off to the side, not important. Don't look over there. Um, but, and then the norm just sort of like fades because it's being dismissed. Can, this also brings up another norm. It used to be a problem when you said stuff that was totally wrong. Sessions didn't, at least by his own description, didn't recuse himself because of incidental context. He recused himself, according to his testimony in front of Congress, because he, he played lied. the role. No, no, no. Oh, because sorry. he played the role in the Trump campaign. His testimony is that he had to recuse himself because he'd been an active participant in the Trump campaign and therefore couldn't adjudicate over an investigation into uh into anything having to do with the Trump campaign. He never has admitted that he recused himself and 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 said he had meetings before it was known that he didn't tell about his meetings with Kislyak. So that may, right because he can't he also wants to treat those meetings as innocent and incidental. That's, that's a good true. Point. And so he may I mean, he may have concocted a story or whatever, but he did. In there was at least uh, one meeting with his internal um whoever, about the existing conflict of interest before we knew about the Kislyak meeting. So he, there is some evidence that he's, that he's uh, telling the straight story. And 
Rand Paul is agreeing with the president on, at the very least, a misunderstanding of what his own guy has said. Secondly, just sorry to take a little detour here. The thing the president is unhappy about is Mueller's appointment. That's not anything Sessions did. It's because the president said that he fired the FBI director because he was investigating Russia, that there is a special counsel. But Trump is essentially assuming that Sessions would never have appointed Mueller. And that's the real problem from Trump's point of view. You know, you were my guy. You were supposed to protect me from this. You got out of the way. You let this happen. You let this guy. I mean, this was another hilarity in the interview with Trump this week. He ran down Rod Rosenstein for being from Baltimore, where Trump said there are few Republicans. Rod Rosenstein grew up in my hometown of Philadelphia, but lives in Bethesda, which is not Baltimore. Let's uh, let's leave us all in Bethesda. Bye, Slate Plus. Talk to you next week.